Motorcycles and Misfits here at the Recycle Garage in sunny, balls hot, <laughs> Santa Cruz, California. It's balls hot, Santa Cruz. It's like at 102 today. Uh, We're not used to this. We are melting in Santa Cruz. And the problem here is that, as because we always brag about how great our weather is, that that is why we have no air conditioning. <laughs> fans in our homes That's they, my they do not exist but what i will say despite the heat is we took a ride up to alice's restaurant yesterday up in woodside ripped up through the redwoods and then back down the coast it's still pretty fucking awesome it's the only way to stay cool yeah. hop on your bike and ride but we've got a special interview today uh with a special guest but before we get to that let's say who's here in the garage hey this is me liza what's up wigwax also, here in the garage, we've got Naked Jim. Word to your moms, I've come to drop bombs. And that's it. Yeah, that's all. That's it, because <laughs> we got a special recording, that's why. Mm-hmm. So, um, Jim, you first met our guest, was that last year? Yeah, last winter. Last winter at the one show in mm-hmm. Portland. I right. remember you came back and said, I met this really cool guy. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, we have other mutual friends and it's trickled back that like, Hey, there's this really cool guy. You guys should interview him. And it's like, all right, who is this dude? What's going on? Started doing some research and found out that, all right, this guy leads a fascinating life and he has the world's best job. So on the phone with us all the way from Switzerland, we've got Eric Hendricks. How you doing, Eric? Yeah, I'm doing so good. Right on. Good to hear your voice. Oh, man. And it's good to be heard. I'll tell you that. You are living the high life, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not bad. Um, right now, I'm up at, literally in the high life. I'm at about uh, 7,000 feet up in the Swiss Alps in a little town called Arosa, which is normally like a ski and snowboarding resort, um, but also in the summertime, great for hiking um mountain biking and riding motorcycles and feeding birds out of your hand and feeding birds out of your hand yeah, yeah my, if <laughs> i had to guess if i had to guess he's covering the women's naked chocolate wrestling competitions in sweet switzerland right now that seems to be the kind of stuff he does action sports i haven't seen that yet but I'm, <laughs> I'm still searching i'm still searching does that exist wow you know what we should do it right here in Santa Cruz. Uh, we can make a name here in Santa Cruz. Why okay. Not? Um, but let's go back to your origins as a writer. How old were you when you first started writing? Yeah, I mean, that goes all the way back to the beginning. When I was a kid, I was always creative stories, creative writing, lying to my parents, uh, <laughs> uh, fa- fabricating. Where were you? <laughs> uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, werewolf kidnapped me. Uh, that's why I'm late. Right. Um it just goes, yeah, I mean, I've always sort of been interested in writing, photography, music, like good creative stuff. Cool. So when was the first time you threw your leg over a bike? That would have been, I'll tell you what my first bike was, and it's yeah. going to date me a little bit. Uh, it was a 1987 Honda CR125. So it was a dirt bike. And yeah, 
we we I grew up in Orange County, and when I grew up in Orange County during that time, there was nothing there but orange groves, um, not the billions and billions of houses and people that are out there now. So we would just get on dirt bikes and go hit the trails. Wait, your first bike was a two-stroke? Did you loop that thing? <laughs> I mean, we had a lot of fun with that thing. It took off. But, uh, yeah, it was a CR125, and then my buddy next door had a CR500. So oh, I'd go back between the two. That's a good way to start off. <laughs> and yeah, then how old yeah. were you then? How old were you then? Oh, I mean, we're we're in high school, so I'm I'm 15. Oh, so you're a late starter. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a late starter. Yeah, my my dad rode bikes before that all my entire life, and um, he never wanted me to get on a bike. He was always like, "No, no, it's not for you. It's not for you." And so I actually had to sneak. I bought the motorcycle um, from a friend with with money from a. I worked at a pet store and had a paper out and saved up, bought the bike and I kept it at a friend's house. And we said it was my friend's bike, not mine. Yeah. That's a common story <laughs> for all of <laughs> yep. those, who, all, those of Back us who started when we, before we were 18. And that is a common story. I love that. So you were riding dirt bikes mostly. Yeah, it was, it was all dirt bikes back then. I mean, I showed up, I was in high school one time um, when the, when the, what was it? The Katana came out. Mm-hmm. Or it was the Katana or the Ninja. It was one of those two. And um, it was like a Ninja or a Katana 600. I, I jumped on the bike. I rode it home. And I had the full leathers on and a helmet. Pulled up in my driveway. My dad was in the driveway. And I took the helmet off. And he just looked at me like he saw a ghost. you know. And he said, you, you take that thing back right where you got it from. I don't ever want to see you on one of those again until you move out. So and wh- why as... As a writer himself, why was he so opposed to it? Yeah, I think he was just worried about me crashing or, ha- you know. I mean, what you would think, any fear for a parent is that your kid's going to have a motorcycle accident and kill himself, you know. And so that I think that was it, you know. And he had ridden bikes his entire life, so I think he felt comfortable. He could handle it. But eventually he, he put the bikes away and stopped riding it uh, to set an example and just say, hey, it's we're not doing this, you know. So, but as a father yourself, how do you yeah. feel about that? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, and it's almost reversed. Like, my son Stone is always worried about me on my bike, and he doesn't really have an inclination to ride. Um, and I haven't really pushed it for the same reason. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm stoked when people are riding. I love riding with my friends and stuff, but... Um, I also don't want to push somebody into riding and be like, hey, you should do this, you should do this. And then next thing you know, I'm at their funeral and I'm like, fuck, I'm the one who, who said you should do this, you know? So so I, I don't know. And I probably get that from my dad. You know, it, it's funny because for me that brings up the old, uh, the old question, is it genetics or culture that makes us a rider? And, you know, it, it's stories like that where there are, kids who grow up in a household of riders and they're encouraged to ride and they have no interest in it. It makes me think maybe it's genetics. Maybe we're just truly born this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I, there's definitely some genetic uh, coding as far as like the adventure DNA. Um, my, my dad's dad was, he, he, he's from Holland and he moved his entire family to the United States and he used to 
build planes back when planes weren't weren't safe yet, you know, and he was building gliders and flying them and he's definitely had a, an adventure bone in him and I, I think that's I think that's where I get it from. At least that's what I'd like to think. Right. So so it sounds like, you know, so you, you, you're, you, you try to get into some street riding and then you put it down for a little while, but then we pick our heads up and lo and behold, you're back riding on the street. So yeah. how did you find your way back to street riding? You know, I, I think just, just getting back into action sports um, as in journalism and as I got into it, I'm, I'm very gonzo with everything I do. Um, I, I will get into it, but I, I did some work in MMA um, and when I started working with these um, jiu-jitsu guys, I started training jiu-jitsu so I would understand what these guys were doing. And um, same thing happened in action sports, you know, with skating. I started skating a lot more when I started working with skateboarders. And when I started interviewing uh, guys riding bikes like Robbie Madison and Roland and, and, and Kerry Hart and these guys, I just I got back into, I, got, I got, took an interest and started riding again. So we haven't said yet what this dream job of yours is. So <laughs> you want to say what it is? Well, yeah, sure. I, I write. So I, I got a call several years ago um, from the senior editor at Rolling Stone inviting me to um, introduce the Rolling Stone readership to uh, action sports, really. Um, they hadn't focused much on action sports, and um, they were – primarily interested in um, my knowledge of, of um, skateboarding and motorcycle riding, but also like surf, snowboarding, just all, all action sports in general. MMA. Uh, MMA. Rock and yep. roll. <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> it all comes together. Dude, that is the dream job. Congratulations on that. Sounds like you oh, just have the, the right mix of DNA, experience, and talent to make it happen. Yeah, I grew up in the good, in a good, the right place for it. You know, in Orange County, where you have all those assets, you can surf, you can skate, you could snowboard, even in the same day, um, and, and motorcycles everywhere and stuff. So it's a perfect place for it. And I've just been, um, I, I think in my life, I've always, you know, that that whole like two ears, one mouth thing. I've always been a good listener, and I enjoy helping people tell their stories. And so it, it just all kind of melded together eventually. Exactly. So what are some of your, like, you've, you've, you get to travel the world, you've been in many countries, what are some of your favorite places you've been able to ride? Oh, man. Um, I mean, traveling, I, last year I was, in, I was in Vietnam, actually, with Roland Sands. Um, we didn't ride. We were there with Toyota, so we were, we were driving off-road across country. Um, but, man, and, and I was, uh, Andy Bell was also with us. And um, that was super cool. Um, just a completely different experience in another country, and Southeast Asia, I hadn't visited. And not, not the country that I expected when I got there. Um, it was so much more, it was warmer and more inviting. Um, I expected a little bit of like hangover, uh, you know, with the U.S. visitors and stuff mm -hmm. like that after Vietnam and all that. But it's, it's not the case there. They're, they're so much more welcoming than you are even than people are even at home. Um, and they have a lot. This is another one of those countries that has a lot of motorcycles. Yes, scooters. It's it's. I think there's something like thirty million scooters in the country. Um, 
it's insane. It's like swarms and swarms and swarms everywhere you go. And it's this crazy, chaotic, I mean, there's no lanes, there's no rules, there's beeping, everyone's flying everywhere, but there's not a lot of accidents. And you just see these swarms of scooters flying all over the place and bikes. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. It's chaos that works. So going to Vietnam, this is something like, so, uh, I'm trying to figure out how does this work? So you want to interview somebody, say like Roland Sands. So sure. what you, you go to into a meeting at Rolling Stone and you just say like, yeah, I want to take Roland Sands to Vietnam. And like, how does this, how does this work? How do you, this sounds like I think yeah no no it's a a really good question and and it's changed so much the publishing's changed so much over the years as print and and has changed and gone online budgets have gone down so if this was you know 20 30 years ago and I was Hunter Thompson that would be the case uh I would say hey look I need I need 50 grand me and Roland are going to Vietnam uh and it would have been no problem today it's it's switched so um, a lot of times it's the, um, it's the brands like Toyota or, or the motorcycle brands that are hosting the journalists to come out and, and do these experiences. And a lot of times um, it'll be like they're looking for people to test ride bikes, you know, like guys from Cycle World and the Bonnier guys and all that. And, um, but in my case, it's a little bit different because we're, we're non-endemic. So, so I, I need to tell a story through the eyes of somebody that's somebody special um, to to kind of make the whole thing work, and um, and so for example, um, I, I went to um, Italy in the spring. Right. I went to Bologna with Ducati to test drive um, the new Ducati Cafe uh, Cafe Racer. Not bad work and, if you can uh, get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not 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 a bad deal. <laughs> Um, and so, so, but to tell the story, cause I, uh, we don't really do test ride stuff, uh, at Rolling Stone. So I chose, uh, Imogen Laytonin, who's been on your show. Yeah. Yeah. We know Imogen. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, that's actually how I discovered you guys was watching, uh, watching ride with Norman Reedus and, and seeing the episode where Imogen and Norman were on your show. Great. And I was like, wow, this looks so cool. And so then I started listening to the podcast after that. Um, so I chose Imogen and we went to, uh, Bologna, Italy and we test, test rode the, the, um, uh, Ducati Scrambler Cafe Racers, um, through the Apennine Mountains. And that's, that's the story that I told through, uh, Rolling Stone. So what did you think of the Scrambler? Well, I actually, I really liked it. Um, I liked the lightweight uh, I like the lightness of the bike. Um, I'm used to a heavier bike. I ride a heavier bike, and the Scrambler. It's it's light. It's really maneuverable, and it felt like the perfect bike in these tiny little roads through the Apennine Mountains. Um, it's it felt like a total perfect bike to like a Euro bike, you know. And um, the body position, leaning forward, the, the the forks were raked a little bit, so you, you had that increased rake, and you're just sort of hovering over the uh, the handlebars, and it felt great. Can we ask who the f- uh, faster rider is? <laughs> Between Imogen and I? <laughs> oh, man. She can it ride. It was definitely huh? Imogen. She can ride, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she took off. And it, you, if you read the story, it, that, that was the case. I, I'm pretty... Um, pretty transparent about that. She yeah. took off into the mountains, and I'm chasing her. K- 
Can I just uh, volunteer next time you have one of these opportunities to just pick somebody? <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's get out of town. That's, uh, that's my favorite thing about the job is is getting to collaborate with interesting people who also have cool jobs or cool backgrounds. And then we're thrown into, you know, somewhere like Vietnam or Italy or or, or Minnesota. Um, and we're, <laughs> we're trying out we're trying out new bikes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's so much fun. Where have you not ridden that you want to someday? Oh, you know, there's so many places in the U.S. that I want to ride. Um, there's there's all the stuff through the south, you know, and the like the Smoky Mountains mm-hmm. and and the, the, what is it the the, the, the dragon. dragon? Yeah, Tale uh, of the Dragon. Yeah. Uh, um, there's so many places, and um, and we've I've done some rides up the coast towards you guys, but I, I'd love to do that again. It's one of my favorites. Are you kidding me? You've um, been riding all over the world, and you haven't been up here. You haven't even been up to Northern California. Our great roads. Well, dude. Well, first of all, we're throwing out an invite to you. Uh, I'm coming. All right. Second of all, we can hook you up with some uh, great rides around the country too. Man, we got to send him out with Matt Harris to the Tennessee woods. Well, we mentioned that earlier and Matt Harris's uh, name oh, came man. up and uh, yeah, if you want to get your, uh, anyway, yeah. Riding Harleys uh, through he knows the trails. I, I know Matt and I love that guy. Oh and my he gosh. he recently had a, a pretty traumatic experience. Yeah. He broke his femur out in the forest. Yeah. And has been, yeah, been recovering from that. But, um, Man, what a cool guy. He's so talented and a great bike builder and, and racer. And Matt, and, he's just one of the coolest guys you'll ever meet. What a nice guy he is. And he's just a bad mother, you know what. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, Matt. yeah. he's a, a badass dude. and he's <laughs> the coolest dude ever. Yeah, totally. So, um, all right, we got to get you around the country, that's for sure. So what? So right now you're in the, the Swiss Alps. What brought you there? Um, so my, my, uh, my son Stone was born here actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. He was born near Zurich and, um, so, and I raised him down in San Diego and then Orange County. Um, but, um, we stayed connected with his mother's, uh, side of the family. Um, so her parents, her brothers, and I, I mean, we're all family. We're all super close and I consider him my family. Um, she and I separated when he was really young, he was like two years old, um, two or three, but, um, um, but I, I st- we stayed family. And, um, so Stone and I come back here every year to visit family and, and keep that, that sort of European tradition. I want him to keep that alive and be able to understand the language and speak to his cousins and come over and visit and explore this part of a world where he can he can call it a second home after visiting so many times, and this trip that we're on right now was was part of that. And how is the riding there? I mean, that's on a a lot of people's list to go ride the Swiss Alps. What's it like? It's amazing. I mean, there's there's so many different passes and tunnels. I mean, Switzerland's known for its tunnels, like the Swiss cheese. They they just they're like mice. <laughs> they just tunnel tunnel through the mountains. And it's it's no joke. You go in these tunnels. It's like ten miles long or twenty miles long. These crazy long tunnels through these mountains, and um, they're fun to rip through, you know. And the, and the, I mean, as you can imagine, it's it's all mountains. It's super steep. So the cur- curvy, twisty roads. It's it's everything that you could ask for. And what were you riding on? Uh, when I was riding here, I was on a two thousand. Well, we rode two bikes. Okay. I rode a, a two thousand six. 
uh, Harley's uh, Road Glide and a 2004 um, Dyna. <laughs> okay, okay, not what I was expecting. <laughs> Perfect for, yeah. <laughs> wow, so you're riding Harleys up in the Alps. Yeah, I was riding Harleys, which is not a lot of Harley guys up here, but not typically the bike that you would choose. Like, there's a lot of other bikes up here that are built for these type of mountains, you know, the dual sport bikes. And yeah. the, the BMW makes some, Ducati makes some. They're great bikes. This was out of convenience. Mm. I actually, um, I, I, uh, I semi-stumbled into it. I, uh, I, I went, I was on a hike, and I, I ended up at a, at a bar on a lake, and there was two Harleys out front. And I, I started talking to one of the guys that worked there, and it turned out they were his bikes. And the guy's name was Sasha, and it turned out it was his bar, his hotel, and he had these Harleys. And, and so we, I, we got to talking, and he, he has a background in, in motocross, and I told him what I did, you know, as far as, like, riding bikes around and test riding bikes a little bit for, for Rolling Stone and whatnot. And, and um, so he invited me to go for a ride. Wow. So, you've been there how long now? Well, now I've been here, uh, extended stay. I've been here um, five or six weeks, six weeks. You so, must like those Harleys. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, let's talk about this. So, what? Uh, when was your last ride? My last ride was on August 3rd, uh, 9 a.m. till about 11 a.m. And you were riding this Harley? Yeah, I rode both of them. So I rode one one Harley. I rode the uh, the I rode the chopper down the mountain, and then I rode the uh, this was a street glide back up the mountain. And how did the ride go that day? Um, not as planned. So the plan was to ride down, get some coffee, ride back up, and take family and friends out to brunch and go hiking. And that's not how it ended up. <laughs> <laughs> not now, even we're close. laughing, but I've seen pictures <laughs> and there's nothing to laugh at. So let's get to the story. So what happened? You're, you're on this nice ride. Everything's going good. Yeah. So we're going down. We go down the mountain. It's beautiful. The twists are there. The turns are there. Uh, my buddy Sasha, who, my new friend Sasha, I'm following him down the mountain. He's leading the way. And so we did about an hour ride down the mountain. Got a cappuccino, we're talking about bikes, um, we're talking about the risk of riding, um, we're talking about, yeah, just life life around motorcycles. And so we, we swap bikes, we head back up the mountain, and I get about halfway up the mountain, we're going through the twists and turns, and I've got this, um, we're, 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 I mean, we're cliffside, we're, we're going through these turns, and it's steep, we're going up a few thousand feet, um, and so we're, we're right there. And um, at one point, I'm, I'm veering left into a turn, and my back tire uh, started to slide out. And I'm not sure if I hit a little gravel, slipped, whatever, but the bike started to, to bottom out. And um, so I, I throttled into it and kind of kind of laid towards the inside of the mountain a little bit to try and get out of it. And tire just slipped more. I got a little bit of a burnout and lost control of the bike. And when that happened, I slid into the railing Mm. And the bike just high-sided me. It just pitched me like a Bronco um, right over the rail and off the mountain. Oh, <laughs> shit. shit. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay, I saw the picture of the bike against the guardrail, and I'm trying in my mind to piece it together, but holy shit, it threw you off. And we're talking mountains here. Yeah, we're in the mountains, and so we're we're cliffside. So um, to give you an idea, the, the, the police, at, when they came and measured, um, it, was, it was 23 meters, so that's what, almost 70 feet I flew um, down the mountain Fuck. Bef- before I impacted. <laughs> God. And um, and I, I was awake. I remember it happening. I remember hitting the fence and breaking through the little railing and flying through the air and thinking, shit, this is yeah. this is really bad. And the hang time went for a while before I felt an impact. Uh, I slammed on my shoulder, and, um, and then I blacked out. Okay. This is something I've always been curious about, this hang time. You're in the air. Like, is this when, like, everything's in slow motion and you have time to, like, ponder about your life and stuff Dude, it really is um <laughs> I, re- I remember getting hooked the only thing i don't remember i think your eyes like automatically shut i think it's a like a body mechanism because i don't remember seeing anything but i do remember flying through the air and i remember thinking this is really bad this is a really long flight like this isn't getting hooked to the ground yeah I'm, I'm, i don't know when it's gonna end and oh it did feel it did feel like slow motion, and I, I remember I, I felt the impact. I remember hitting the hitting something and slamming, and then just complete blackout. And then when I woke up, um, I was on my back. I was looking up, kind of tunnel vision, and my friend Sasha was right above me, and he was like, "Eric, Eric, wake up! Can you hear me? Can you hear me?" And he said that that he had come down the mountain. He found me. I was going into convulsions, and and he uh, he he you know kind of shook me out of it and woke me up. And um, then I remember him saying, uh, the first thing he asked me was, he was, oh, he, he, he said, can you hear me? Can you hear me? I said, yes. And then he said, um, um, oh, I said, I said, Sasha, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about your bike. And, and he said, he's like, no, 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 it's not about that. He said, let me, let me ask you something. Can you feel your legs? And, um, and, so, and so I, like, I looked down a little bit at my legs and I, I was able to move them. Oh, and so I was like, Ugh. yeah, I was like, yeah, Sasha. And I, I moved them both. And he said, that's really good, Eric. That's really good. He said, what about your arms? And I, I said, yeah, my, my left hand I can move. My, my right side's broken. I can't feel it. And he said, that's, that's not a problem. Don't worry about that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we could fix that, you know. That to me, I can't and, believe uh, that you remember it that clearly, like that vividly the entire time. Yeah, it's crazy. It was, it was, I was back in for just a few minutes, and I remember him telling me, listen, the helicopter's in the way. And, um, and so we, he, he stayed with me. I was trying to stay awake. He was like, stay awake. He kept asking me questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really remember all of that, but he said I was responding pretty well. And when your body slams that hard, you, um, your body goes into a shock, and you don't really feel the pain and all that stuff that huh. comes later. Right. Okay. Um, your your body swells up. There's broken bones. Your body goes into survival mode instantly, and the pain is just not. It's non-existent. I didn't feel anything, um, which was which was crazy because I yeah. didn't. I never knew that. You you talk to these guys when I interview guys for Rolling Stone. I'll talk to guys like Kerry Hart, and he's told me about going into a coma and intensive care and shattering bones. You don't really understand what that means until you experience it. And not that that's a good thing, but it's a just a whole nother level of understanding, you know, when you when you've gone through it. 
Wow. So do you remember getting extricated up the mountain or what was your next memory or well, I'd like, My to next? Po- I'd like to point out, oh, too, sure. this is one of the reasons why you ride with a buddy. Yeah? Because if you had been right. alone... Oh, if I'm alone, Eric's dead. Yeah. And we, yeah. we hear of this happening to people. but And it sounds like you were there with the right person, somebody who's calm and knew how to kind of assess and get help. So so did he have to yeah. ride, down, ride down the mountain for help or ride up, or what did he do? So Sasha saved... I mean, he's a lifesaver. There was a couple of people in cars that were near us that saw me fly over the hill. And and there was actually a car that pulled Sasha over because he didn't see it happen. He was in um, front of me. Wow. And so he didn't see me crash. The car, there was another car that saw me, and they, they stopped him, and they said, hey, your friend just crashed. He turned around and went back and saw the bike on the street because the bike stayed up on the hill and, and no Eric. And so... He, he pulled the bike o- his bike over, he ran down, climbed down the hill, and he found me down there going in a convulsion 70 feet down from the road. And Sasha has a background in uh, motocross. He's been in several serious uh, accidents, and he just knew. He was, he was the perfect person to have with me at the time. He knew exactly what to do. He knew what to check, like check the legs, don't move the body, don't move the neck, call for help. Um, all the, he, all the right things. I was just so lucky that I was with him. Yeah, those are all good reminders too. Knowing what to do when a friend goes down. Yeah, yeah. So he, so they. I do remember uh, hearing the helicopter, and I remember Sasha telling me, uh, "Hey, listen, we have to move you a few feet to a flatter area." And as it turned out, I had landed. Uh, where I landed was just like this little patch of uh, flat, uh, sort of flat, a, a little bit of an angle, but uh, yeah, ten more feet down. And it's hundreds of feet straight drop, so I'm cliffside. Oh my god! And, Dude. and yeah, yeah. I mean, I talk about an angel like picking me up and setting me down in the perfect spot. Um, to the left, to the right, ten more feet of rolling, and Eric's a goner. Yeah. I just landed so, in this catcher's mitt on the mountain. Have you had a come to Jesus moment? Um, I've had a few moments, yeah. and there's. There's definitely been um, uh, there's definitely been a force on my side. So um, that's what I was gonna say. Do you believe that this was just your fortune, or do you believe that there's something more at play? Uh, I feel like I feel like there's too many things happened in my favor uh, in this particular accident. You know, it's like one of my nine lives or something. Um, that uh, I got a I got a bonus round for some reason. Yeah, I like to think of it as good karma. You know, your, your life's work kind of when you when you have these moments <laughs> that get super sketch. That there is a guardian angel because of all the good shit you've been doing your whole life. That okay, we'll 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 get you out of this one. Because I wonder too. Man, I mean, granted, going down yeah. the cliff and almost a thousand feet of a mountain or whatever. But I wonder if you had high sighted into that guardrail. I mean, that you know that could have been that the end right there. Oh too. yeah, yeah yeah. I mean, there's metal guardrails on either side i went right through the middle i just went through the wood yeah. so you hit the guardrails you're a goner i mean you, you go off the cliff you're a goner and when i was down there like right before the helicopter uh took off um i i started i had trouble breathing i started choking and so it's like sasha i can't breathe and i started coughing and then i started throwing up blood and so my lungs uh, i punctured a lung and my lungs started filling up with blood and I started coughing that up mm-hmm. and so had had it not been in switzerland where they're they have like helicopters galore and like rescue teams and that's all they do is rescue from from alpine accidents from ski accidents 
car accidents, moto accidents, hiking accidents. Americans on Harleys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Americans on Harleys. Um, Man, I mean, if this accident happened anywhere else, if this happened when I was in Vietnam, it's goodbye, you know? Uh, it's, I mean, thank God it happened in Switzerland, in the Swiss Alps, where accidents like this or, or accidents happen all the time. So they, they get you out of there, take you to the hospital. What was your list of injuries? Sure. Well, I mean, immediately I'm, I'm dying. I'm losing blood, lungs punctured. And so the immediate um, thing is they, they, put me into an induced uh, coma. And so um, I was right into a coma and on life support. And that went on for three days. Um, so it was it was hit or miss. And I had family flying in from Los Angeles, and I had all our family there um, just, you know, in and out and waiting in the hospital just on good news. And, and the news was apparently the first two days was not good. Uh, they were saying I kept losing blood, kept losing blood. I was having a Hard. I mean, now by at this point, I'm Swiss national. I've got so much Swiss blood in me, um, and uh, but then then the list of injuries. Yeah, I I broke my clavicle. I, I shattered my scapula into bits. Like a they said it was like a jigsaw puzzle. Um, I um I broke my right hand. I um had a, a hematoma liver. So I, I guess I smacked my liver and my hip so hard Damn. and my kidney. Damn. And then. Yeah, and then um, my spine and my neck. I guess I had 12 fractures in my spine and in my neck, but the fractures were in a stable enough area to where they didn't um, require surgery. Um, They were just small fractures, I guess, like on the sides of the spine instead of in an area where it could have been dangerous. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. (laughs) Yeah, And, and what's crazy, and what's crazy, and another one of those little, like, Angel moments was um, we were just getting to leave to leave uh, Arosa to go on this motorcycle ride, and Sasha handed me a spine protector, one of those like spine things. It's like a it wraps around your waist like a weight belt, and, and it's like a harness, and it covers your entire spine. Mm-hmm. And he handed it to me and said, "Here, why don't you take this?" And I said, "Nah, I don't need that. Um, I've never worn that, and that's that feels that's going to be bulky. I'm good with just a jacket." And um, so I, I set it aside. And and he said, well, you know, if you ask me, I I would wear it. He said, but I've been in a few motorcycle accidents and stuff like that saved my life. And I didn't immediately listen to him, but we went outside. We started getting gear, getting the bikes uh, set up and getting our gear together and stuff. And I had this weird like little flash moment, and I, I, I something told me go put it on. So I went back inside uh, the hotel where all the gear was. I took off my jacket. I put on the spine protector. I um, took off my shoes. I was just wearing like tennis shoes. I put on the the boots that he had offered me, and some of the extra gear that I normally um, I, I normally I'm a pretty comfortable rider, and I felt I would be fine with the helmet and a Teflon jacket that I had on and some gloves. But in this case, I threw on the the you know the uh, the super gear for whatever reason, and I never thought about it again until the doctor told me that if I hadn't worn that spine, he said it, it would have been death or paralysis. Wow. Yeah, I'm taking notes now. Get spine protector. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it sa- it saved my ass. I mean, I landed right on my shoulder and my spine. Dude, so you did it? You did a tuck and roll. I did a tuck and roll. Yeah, 
That's fucking it's good, to, good to know all that practice we <laughs> do as kids flat. comes in handy, man. Yeah, yeah. Just slammed right onto the shoulder in the back, and I landed like basically like feet first, like down the mountain. And um, and luckily, I mean, I broke all those things and and had all this damage, but um, I didn't break my legs, and my left arm was was functional. I've, I've you know, I mean, there's a little bit of nerve stuff going on, but it's functional. So as far as getting back into life and being mobile and stuff. I mean, I can walk now. Um, I've got one good hand to whether it's, you know, eat a sandwich or wipe my ass. I can do it. You know, it's amazing what we, what we take for granted. I remember, um, as you were posting stuff on Instagram, that was a lot of really interesting to, to follow because we all, you know, we know people that go down or have been down and you kind of know what it's like, but you got into a little bit more detail, which I appreciate it, you know, appreciate because it, you know, it's somewhat intimate and, uh, and I'm looking at you, and this is like a day or two after you, um, you know, have come out of, they've, you've been brought out of the coma and whatnot, and you're smiling, you're giving the horns, you know, you're giving the thumbs <laughs> up, and I'm like, this guy is awesome, right? To be be to be bouncing back that quickly, and I think it, it's a couple of things. One, it's it's it, it talks about who you are as a person and the spirit that you have. Secondly, it talks about kind of morphine and what that can do for you. <laughs> and not that's, not to not, that's exactly it. I was gonna say yeah, not to dwell on that, but I one of the interesting things there was a lot of interesting things about about the comments that you, you were posting but i never thought about that and that all of a sudden you know one of the biggest battles it seems like you had to face was you know coming off the morphine yeah it's i mean that's no joke and the morphine they give you it's like kicking heroin i guess um and you hear about these junkies who you know they're trying to kick heroin and and they go into these like crazy fevers and fits and convulsions and they're throwing up and stuff it's the same uh, in the hospital with controlled morphine. And um, I was on heavy, heavy, heavy morphine and ketamine for two and a half weeks. And when they finally um, took me off of that, and they didn't cold tur- I mean, they weren't trying to cold turkey me. They tried to transition me to pill form of medication so that they can transition me away from the IVs and the tubes and pipes and all the gadgets that I was connected to. I mean, I had I had stuff going into both hips, down my nose, down my throat, into my chest. I had a pipe sticking into my lung, like just the, I mean, just a complete robot. And as they started peeling away layers, as I started healing, they were taking away things one at a time. And the last to go was this morphine drip. And man, that was, it was a complete surprise and shock because um, you don't know what's going on. And you start feeling hot and then cold and then sick and you've got to throw up and 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 I didn't I didn't make the connection until later when the doctors came in and I was like hey something's really wrong something's really wrong I think one of the medications I took is making me really sick I thought I was having a bad reaction and then the the doctor anesthesiologist came in and they said no 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 you have to take this step and it's going to be uh, it's going to be painful and it's 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 not going to be good but you have to take this step before we can keep going and I was like, what the hell? What step? You know? Um, and it, it was no joke. And yeah, I, I, I did. I wrote about it on my Instagram. I tried to kind of document as best as I could the whole process from the very first days that I could sort of voice to text into the Instagram and give my friends and family some updates um, and let them know like, hey, um, I'm, I f- I'm feeling okay or I feel like I'm going to pull through this because it was really not sure in the beginning. Yeah, I got to say one of my favorite uh, posts from that was when uh, you and your son Stone had, went down and got ice cream cones. 
And I was like, oh, that, 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 that picture spoke just volumes about the whole experience to me. Oh, man. It was such a highlight. And, and you know, for Stone, I mean, to, to have basically like your one parent in a coma and you're, you're in the room with him and you're watching him just hooked up to a machine and beeping and stuff. I mean, he, he took some pictures of me in there and he still won't show me because he said they're not. He doesn't want to look at him again. And um, he had a few moments where he got pretty faint, like, you know, almost passed out in the room. And, and uh, I can't even imagine, you know, I just I felt, I felt really terrible. And um, I, I wanted to point out, Stone isn't yeah. a small child. Oh, no, no. He's, he's 19. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He's a big child. <laughs> But, yeah, um, yeah, he's a big kid. You know, I'm always fascinated to hear people's crash stories because it's something that we all face. We know that this is something, a risk that we take every time we put our helmet on or, or those who don't. And, you know, I think the question is, is the risk worth the reward? And we, put, we, do, we, we do that every day. But now that you've actually dealt with the risk, is it still worth the reward of riding? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so crazy because we had that exact discussion 30 minutes before I went off the mountain. Mm. And, you know, I was talking to my buddy Sasha about that. And I said, hey, look, we all know the risk of riding. Um, if you don't, I mean, you're stupid because it's right in front of all of us. And, you know, the risk is is, is high. You know, it's uh, it could it's it could be fatal it could, or could could change your life. You know, the injuries, paralysis, all kinds of stuff. And um so that's been a big question, and one a big question of people commenting and messaging since then was, um, do you think you'll get back on a bike, you know, like when you can? And, you know, I told the doctor the same thing is, you know what, if, if I could ride out of the hospital and back up the mountain that I just crashed on, I would. Yeah, um, that's what we want to hear. Damn straight I would. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, because we know what the risk is, and it's a lifestyle, and... Yeah, the risk's high, but you could die slipping in a shower, falling down stairs, or a random car accident, or in a plane crash. You know, anything could kill you. Um, and I, I think when when we ride motorcycles, you have a higher sense of being in the moment. And sure, it's a high risk, um, but there's also there's I think there's a, a higher presence. Um, and so I I, I don't feel like that that's something that's going to prohibit me from riding again. There's definitely, though, it, there is going to be a head game you go through. Is this your first big accident? Yeah. I mean, I've crashed in the dirt before back in the day, but I've never had anything this big. Yeah. I mean, I had an accident back when I was a teenager on the freeway with no gear on. And as soon as I got out of the hospital that day, I went back down to the side of the freeway, picked my bike up and rode it home. And there's... My, my, my headspace had changed. I was uh -huh. very aware when I got on and my body was shaking as I rode. And it's something that you may deal with it. You have to push through. And I remember saying to myself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Because I'm going to have to push through this mental block that's fighting me. And every time I got on that bike, if I got over 35 miles an hour, my limbs would start shaking. And I crashed right. because of a high-speed wobble. So <laughs> you don't oh, want to wow. be shaking. And I just went out there and just kept riding and just pushing and pushing because I said, yes, this is worth it. And right. it's something that I think, you know, 
yeah, you, you're going to want to throw a leg. You want to get back on. But just know you want to do it in increments. And it's okay if you're scared. We all go. Yeah, yeah, it's good good advice. And it'll be a while before I can. I mean, I, at this point, I can't even actually use my shoulder. It's not moving. It's just barely, just a few centimeters, you know, like responding. Just enough to give me hope that it's going to come back. Um, but it's it's only been a few weeks since they put all this titanium uh, in the shoulder to put you know put it back together. So, um, in fact, I can't I can't even go home still for another month. Um, the punctured lung they uh, restricted me from being on a plane. So, um, end of September is when I'll be able to fly, which is another month away. Wow, that's yeah, that's I'm, it's a good thing you have family there. So. Is your prognosis good? Are you ex- expected a full recovery? Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, there's there's a little bit of nerve stuff going on in the hands, you know, that um, the doctors say may take, you know, might only take like six months or nine months. And um, the broken shoulder, um, it's uh, that's coming back. You know, they just, they rebuilt it all with titanium. And it's just now just having the muscles being able to communicate again and, and start operating but, um, yeah, they, I expect a full recovery. Well, it looks like you're getting on it pretty hard. Some of the stuff I've seen you working out on the bike, and it doesn't look like you're sitting idly by waiting for this recovery to happen. I think you're driving that train. You know what's crazy is um, Sasha told me this, actually, and it's a really funny analogy, but he said, he said, Eric, he said, you ever watch X-Men? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he said, you know what? We, we are X-Men. He said, we might not as be as fast as, like, Wolverine can heal, but we're incredible, like, our bones can join themselves back together and regrow. Our wounds can regrow. Our nerves can reconnect. Our muscles can reconnect. And we're, we're X-Men, just so much slower. And I've been thinking about that every day since he said that weeks ago. And when I go to the therapist and I sit on the cycle and we do, you know, we'll do 15, 20-minute cycling, you know, the, the increase the, the blood flow, increase the oxygen, which is going to uh, – increase the healing a little bit more wolverine um yeah i just i think about that every day and that's been something that's sort of been in my corner to help with the healing so i this is something that goes through everyone's head after an accident and i'm I'm guessing you've already thought about this going back in time is there anything you would have or could have done differently no you know what I have thought about that, and I think a lot of times I've asked friends and they don't remember what happened in the accident, and I do. I remember the bike starting to bottom out in the back and slide out, and I wasn't sure if I would hit gravel or something slippery. Um, I remember leaning in towards the mountain and throttling, and I, I just I feel like my actions were correct, and um, I, you ride on so many different bikes, and there's so many different physics to the bikes, the weight and the momentum and... At what point, you know, if I'm on another bike, that that accident doesn't happen. If I'm on my bike, that accident doesn't happen. Um, but it was just this particular bike, the weight of the bike, the way it reacted. Um, you know, there's so many different little elements that I, I feel like I did, I, I had the right reaction, just not enough time. I only had a few milliseconds and, and just a few feet before I hit that rail. Yeah, I, you know, you got to learn from every experience and... If you say that um, your instincts were correct and, you know, you made all the right decisions, having the, the better gear, there's nothing you could have done, then that 
tells you right there that's the choice that we live with and i think you being able to talk to us today is proof that it didn't it didn't end up worse because yeah. there were things you did right your instincts kicked in you wore the right gear you tucked and rolled yeah tucked and flew you had a partner <laughs> buddy <laughs> riding with and you roll. and you know you will be okay which is which is amazing yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy to think that it just happened. I mean, it's almost exactly four weeks ago today, and I'm able to get on a stationary bike and walk the lake, and um, you know, just just do all the things that I can do right now after where I was just three weeks ago, just completely immobile. I mean, you can't eat by yourself. You can't go to the bathroom by yourself. You can't shower yourself. Like, you're, it's crazy. Yeah, and you realize how important the community you have around you is, huh? Oh my God, that's been like the the, ba- the the rock of this whole thing was just everybody coming together, being supportive. I mean, my family set up like a donation page and everybody was like chipping in on that, which really helped with all this out of country expenses like helicopter rides and therapy and medication and all the things that my insurance doesn't cover. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's It's been crazy. And then just the phone calls and the positive vibes that everybody's been putting out has kind of helped me be able to um to to kind of reflect that back out towards everybody and say hey look you know everything's good let's have some fun with this i'm gonna be okay right on you know it's funny yeah. we're talking about decision makings and and the accident and repercussions and, and i think obviously the one big decision you made was uh you know to put on the extra gear you know, you know, something I kind of am curious about or, or wonder is when you look at a lot of the, the current cultural, you know, media that revolves around motorcycling and, and, you know, and women's presence getting bigger and bigger in motorcycling, whether it's Babes Ride Out or Dream Roll, Babes in the Dirt. I mean, all the cool stuff that's going on in women's motorcycling now. But mm-hmm. it, other than a track day, it's rare that I see um, one of these talented, beautiful women on a motorcycle in anything other than a tank top and jeans. And as much right. as I love to see that, you know, I have, my daughter's 19, she rides, and I wondered to what extent, you know, what kind of a message are we sending there? And I'm not complaining, don't get me wrong. I think it's just an interesting concept to explore. Yeah, it is, and, and it's, it's also interesting for the industry. You know, there, there are guys out there like Roland Sands who, who put, like, some pretty fashionable jackets together, you know, like really cool jackets, but they're built so they can have inserts. So you have a spine protection, you have shoulder protection, you have arm protection inside those jackets. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big challenge for a lot of these these companies. They're putting out stuff to try and make you look like sleek and cool and not wearing all the gear, but it's fucking dangerous and it, it could, can be life-ending, you know? I, I personally think we're, we really need, and what I'll say that Cycle Gear with their built line is doing well. Um, I was a writer who rode for many, many decades without proper gear because i'd buy what i could find at the flea market <laughs> at the like, camping you know, store i couldn't go buy one of these 300 dollar sure. jackets um there's so many young riders and even though there are people um making really cool jackets you know they they're three five eight hundred dollars and it's that hundred dollar range that we really need for the younger newer riders and get them geared right I think you've got a business model right there. Well, you know, even Let's though we know, I mean, we know that like built gear is not made to last. Yeah. It's not made well, but it's better than nothing. And, you know, right. we get kids who roll into the garage and like windbreakers and garden gloves. 
And, you know, we do, we, we have re- uh, gear here that we take as don- donated gear, and we give it out to kids who pull up in improper gear. Oh, that's so because good. Because they can't afford it. A lot of times the gear's yeah. worth more than their motorcycle. <laughs> I know. It really is. It, it is. really is. That's no joke. Yeah. I mean, you look at helmets, they could be six, seven hundred bucks for a helmet. Jackets could be the same. It's crazy. Yeah. But like you said, when you have an issue, when you have a bad day, it's money well spent. And, you know, any gear is better than no gear. That's the way we kind of look at it. You know, as, as cheap as it is, as it might be, it's better than not having anything. But Yeah. I mean, if it fits right and it's in a, in a spot that's going to protect you, you know, I like the, the helmet I wore. Like, luckily, when I landed, I still had the helmet on. And a lot of people wear the helmets loose or it's not strapped in very well. And you got to make sure that all the stuff's fit correctly and, and – um, and that, that when you take an impact, you get hucked off a mountain or you get whatever it is, that, that it's, it's going to still be on you to, to save your life. Right. So let's, yeah. get, let's get back to this uh, fantasy job of yours. <laughs> um, let's do it. So you get to interview a lot of really cool people. And uh, let's just stick with as much of the moto culture as we can. So sure. who, who have been some of your favorite interviews that happen to ride motorcycles right um well we talked a little bit about imogen mm-hmm. um she, she's such a good person her family comes from a really interesting background uh in london they they founded that company called the great frog right they're a silversmith jewelry company and her family has a background in riding motorcycles and she was raised in and around motorcycles um and so she was just like the perfect person to go to Italy with and, and ride those um, Ducati uh, Scrambler Cafe Racers. Um, so she was a lot of fun, and I was so impressed with her personality and how she sort of stands out on her own, you know. I mean, she she's kind of seen as um, as an ambassador for women in motoculture, but really she's, she's kind of a lone wolf, you know. She's doing her own thing, and she's doing it because she loves it. Um, so she was really inspiring. And um, then um, I was just in Minnesota with Carrie Hart. Right. We we were out there riding the new um, Indian Scout bobbers, and um, and man, what a cool dude! Um, so down to earth. And that guy has been broken so many times uh, in motocross, but he's he's uh, I mean, he was like the first guy to do a backflip in motocross, and he's just he's such a legend as far as kind of. Uh, being an innovator and starting all that stuff, um, that uh, it was really cool to, to hang out with them. And, you know, a lot of times when you, you know, they say, oh, you don't want to meet your heroes because you could be disappointed. And with somebody like Carrie, it was exactly the opposite. I mean, he was such a cool dude, so much fun to hang out with. We had a few beers. We had a lot of fun. We rode bikes, not while we were on the beers. Um, and um, And, man, I was just so impressed, you know. What uh what kind of street bike does he ride? Do you know? Uh, Carrie is riding geezer gliders. <laughs> <laughs> He's a bagger dude right now, and wow. uh, yeah, he just built. I've been watching. If you watch him on Instagram, he just built this really cool bike. Though uh, I don't know exactly what it is, some sort of a bobber, I think, or something. But he built this really rad bike with a sidecar, uh, and it looks like sort of like a an airplane bomber. Or something like that, and uh, I think that's some some big feature he's been working on for the uh, hot bike tour or something. But um, it's that's been really cool to sort of follow uh, the build of that during the timing that I was actually in the hospital because I've been able to sort of be distracted a little bit from 
from pain and and misery and all that stuff watch these guys doing cool stuff still you know so i like how you're able to slip in the the motorcycling for interviews um so who is on your list that you would like to interview oh man that's a really good question too um one of the other guys who was definitely on my list and who I did interview was Robbie Madison. And um, right. I just feel like he's just like, he's like Travis Pastrana. I mean, he's like an evil Knievel, you know, and um, and that stuff that he did in Chopu, riding the motorcycle on the ocean and on the waves. And yeah, stuff. that was right. so rad. <laughs> it was so rad. Was I mean, it's, yeah, there's, you know, there's the arguments. Oh, that's not riding motorcycles. Well, yeah, sure it is. Uh, you know, um, it's just it's just pushing boundaries and and being innovative and and he's done so many cool things for the moto world and he's been he's been broken. I mean, I I interviewed him um, the morning that he woke up from an induced coma and uh, and he had t- taken me what, through. Hold on, yeah, you interviewed him the morning he woke up from a coma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my reaction too. I was like, <laughs> why am I here? And and he said, well, we didn't want to miss this opportunity, so we didn't tell anybody that, that I was in a coma for two days. Uh, and so he was getting ready to promote that big that big thing he did, right in the wave in Chopu um, on the motorcycle. And right before the promotion and the launch and the premiere of the video, he, he did a backflip in his yard, and he landed on his head and went into a coma. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, because he has... Um, some sort of a, it was, he went into a seizure or something and they had to induce a coma to keep him stable for a few days. And so we had this interview scheduled and they kept the appointment. I went to his house and he's like, he's whispering to me the whole time, you know? And he's like, yeah, well, you know, I went to Tahiti and I did this. And I was like, hey, are you okay? Like, you can speak <laughs> up. And, and he said, well, it's just, it hurts a little bit because I just had these tubes down my throat. Uh, I was just in a coma this morning, and I was oh like, my God. what? Why am I here? Like, go back to bed. You should not be, and, and, uh, and but that's, that's Robbie Madison. Like, he, that dude is, he's totally X-Man. That dude can get up out of a coma and go do interviews and go to his premiere and carry on. Wow. He's amazing. Yeah. Well, it is quite the club you've joined. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> it's a brotherhood for sure. And, yeah. and it's no joke. Uh, I've gotten messages from Robbie Madison while I was in the hospital, from Roland Sands, from Kerry Hart, from Andy Bruno. These guys know what, what it's like to go through weeks or months of of uh, being completely broken and brought back to life. And uh, it does feel like a club in a weird way. All right, but you still haven't answered the question. Okay, the question I'm coming was, with it. Who do you want to interview that you have not you know, yet? You know who I really want to interview? Who you guys did, and I did, and and I I did for like two seconds. Um, would be uh, Norman. Oh yes. I would love to talk to that dude for a, a few hours and go for a ride with him. Just um, watch out! He is a hugger, man. <laughs> oh, I'm down. I'm down for a hug. I'm down. I'm not afraid. <laughs> he was such a nice guy man. too. Boy, he was super down to earth. What a chill. Same thing when you meet someone that you put on a pedestal oh. in a way, and you get to meet him, yeah. and you're like. Man, they could not be any cooler. Yeah, he was super chill. Yeah. Oh, man, you're so right. And I would love, I did get to interview him for a few minutes. He gave me a quote for Imogen's article that we did. I did uh, for, for Playboy and for Rolling Stone. So I got on the mm-hmm. phone with him for a few minutes to say a few nice things about Imogen. And um, 
and I thought, man, I, w- I would love to go for a ride and interview this dude and go for a ride with him down in the south or any of those places they went on that show, you know, they went through the Keys or, you know, right. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I got the quote right here. Uh, Imogen is such a badass on and off the bike. And that is That's true. That's it. Well, you know, that is true. One of, the, one of the coolest things I'm enjoying that, that you've been doing, Eric, is the stuff with Steve Caballero. Um, I think that's just rad. I mean, not only the skateboard stuff, but what he's got going with motorcycles now. I think it's it's really oh, cool yeah. seeing that whole thing. You know, him those guys still making it happen. It's so cool. And last fall, um, I really connected with Steve. It was the 30th anniversary of the Animal Chin, which is their their big skateboard video that sort of set it off in the skateboard world. Well, dude, back in the day, Hawk. that was yeah, that was the video. It was like <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, when you watch it now. Yeah, so they did a reunion uh, last November, and they built a, a, a new rendition of the Animal Chin Ramp, and all the guys came, Lance Mountain, Tony Hawk, Cab, you know. And so, and I, I was invited as one of the very few ju- journalists to join those guys at the ramp, photograph, interview, and, and put out a, a, a piece about that. And um, Steve and I really connected talking about motorcycles during that time, over those few days. And, man... That dude has a real history in motos. He he used to build um, and collect like Nortons and BSAs back in the day, and he's he's ridden his first mode of transportation was a bike, uh, a little Honda motorcycle, and um, and he's since he's he's really transcended into an ambassador in, in moto culture. I mean he's he's building vintage bikes. He built a with with Brian Thompson up up near you guys. He built a, a old '62 um, uh, Triumph. Um, uh, that he calls the scout because he painted it to look like the old uh, Indian scout. Okay. Uh, he he bought uh, he bought the Wall of Death Harley Davidson that was at the Born Free shows. Oh and, wow, that's rad. Yeah, and he's been racing it at the um, the uh, what's it called a trog the the race of gentlemen. Wow, that's really cool. So I want to know what are some upcoming projects you have? Can you tease us out with anything that you're working on? Yeah, sure. Um, one of the things that I'm super excited about right now is for the last several months, I've been working with Revolver Magazine, which is a heavy metal rock and roll magazine. It's been around forever. And I used to read this magazine, you know, when I was a teen and uh, it can still do. And um, so so these guys brought me in, uh, just like Rolling Stone had, as the action sports editor. And so now what I'm working on is um, I just directed a three-part uh, web series with Steve Caballero and Elliot Sloan and uh, two of the world's like best skateboarders and uh, dudes who also are uh, very fluent in music and, um, and, and very, um, very fluent in motorcycle riding. And so we did this really cool three-part series um, where we discuss the first episode, which is online now, um, you can catch at Revolver. and uh, we, Wait, let's we, be um, more clear. Revolver.com? Oh, yeah, I think it's RevolverMag.com. There you go, RevolverMag.com. Um, if you just Google up like Revolver Magazine, you're going to find it. And they're on social media everywhere, Facebook, Instagram. Um, but, yeah, I think it's RevolverMag.com. And so the the first um, first episode's online now. It's Steve Caballero and Elliot Sloan talking about their lives in skateboarding and what it means to them and what it's come to represent. And the next two episodes we haven't really announced, but 
The next episode will be about their passion for music. Both uh, uh, perform uh, music, and um, Cab Cabs goes back um, early San Francisco, San, San Jose days. Right. He met uh, Cliff, Cliff Burton, and he went and saw Metallica early oh, on. Yeah. And Elliot is an incredible musician. He actually created the soundtrack for this miniseries. And then um, the third uh, episode will be about motorcycles. And uh, Cab has a huge history in moto. Um, we talked a little bit about him. He's, he's, I mean, from collecting BSAs and Nortons and building custom bikes. Um, he's working on a really cool project right now with Indian, um, customizing a Scout bobber with Roland Sands. Um, and Elliot... Elliot Rips too. In fact, I ride motorcycles with those dudes. Uh, anytime we can all get together, we do ride, skate, camping trips together, and uh, we'll go right up into the hills and stuff. So I'm I'm super stoked on that. I got to direct these um these these short films. They're they're a lot of fun to to uh, watch. And um, like I said, the first one just premiered, and the next ones are coming over the next few weeks. You know, and I don't think we covered yet what bike is in your garage. Oh, sure. Uh, my garage right now, I have a 2016 Harley-Davidson Road King. Nice. And you know, I, I had a Road King. <laughs> I know I get, I, get, I get bashed for Harley bashing, but I really enjoyed the Road King. There's so much you can do with it. Um, I, I think it's a better, well, I would rather tour on that than, than like a Goldwing. I wouldn't rather tour on that than like a BMW touring bike. But mm -hmm. but I do I do appreciate the Road King a lot. Did you get a chance to look at the new models? Um, I haven't. I've been. Um, I was. In, I think I was in a coma when they, <laughs> <laughs> when they dropped them. Literally. Come on. And, and uh, so I I've only been able to to uh, jump online, you know, Cycle World and stuff, and right. kind of watch Sean McDonald and some of the guys, you know, talk about their first rides on the bike. But I haven't. Uh, I mean, when I get home, I'll get to try them out. Well, I'm, I'm curious, Eric, um, because you have access to so many awesome bikes and rides. Why did you end up picking the the Harley as your your go to at home? Yeah, I mean, I it's interesting you ask me that. It's it has to do with my dad. Um, I, I I started riding bikes again out in the street because I wanted to use that as a tool to reconnect with my dad, and sort of give me and my dad something special that we can pull out and just do just the two of us. And uh, my dad's, you know, he's always doing stuff for the family. He's cooking for the family, taking care of the house, doing this and that. But I don't feel like he gets enough time to go do something special for himself or something that I can have exclusive with him. So for, for selfish reasons, um, I got that bike and I kept it pretty stock with the exception of, the, uh, if, you know, stage one, you know, air intake and pipes um, and a little bit of mapping. Um, so that my dad can ride my bike and feel comfortable uh, riding my bike and I'll, I'll rent another bike um, and we go and we'll, we'll head down to the beach and we'll go out and get brunch or something like that or take a run through the canyon. I think it's rad that the guy that, you know, was basically prohibited you from riding when you're younger that now and you got now you two get to share such a cool experience like that. I love hearing those stories. Oh, yeah, I love it. And it's it's so cool to connect with him. And I, I always it was weird, like even though he prohibited us from riding when I was kids, I always had this vision of me and my dad riding motorcycles together when, when I got older. I kind of just had this vision of us like and and it'll probably never happen, but like visions of us like riding to Sturges or, you know, like taking long distance trips and stuff like that. And he, he's down for the short run down to the beach and go get some Mexican food or something and hit the canyons. 
And man, that's it's good enough for me just to get that little taste. Right on. Nice. So we know that you have a Harley in your garage, but there's a bike <laughs> but, I wanna know. No pun intended. I wanna know what your up butt. the butt bike is. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> my up the butt what bike would i take it up the butt for cr125 uh, <laughs> <laughs> 1987 cr125 <laughs> oh my god no you know what honestly uh, what i would probably do is what um what steve caballero just did um I, not saying that he took it up the butt but <laughs> <laughs> let's just disclaimer there yeah but what he did was uh, uh he got a he got a brand new indian scout and so I really like that platform. And, um, and he took it into Roland, uh, Roland Sands, and they customized the hell out of this bike. They, you know, they, they, brought the, um, uh, uh, they brought the forward controls to make controls and did a lot of stuff with the bike. And so I think I would take a platform like that that I really love, uh, that I feel confident about, and it's a good, uh, reliable platform. And then I would just customize the hell out of it from the paint to the pinstriping, to the parts, and and yeah, I would take it into Roland. Roland's a good friend of mine, and have him dial it in and make it super cool and make it my own, you know. So I think rather than having like an off-the-shelf, you know, like gnarly like dream bike, I'd rather have something that I that 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 just speaks my language 100%. You know, and when Norman was here, he rode in on a Roland Sands BMW, and I think. The Imogen's up the butt bike was a Roland Sands bike. I may be making that up, but wow. um, but definitely so I Roland, love Roland's right there up everyone's butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just it's a SoCal can, thing. He can do things with them. He he does magic with bikes, and and the fact that he works <laughs> cool with shit. all different types of bikes is something that I really love. Yeah, and he and he makes them to ride hard, not just to look pretty. And I appreciate what yeah. the way they're elevating the flat track thing, and they're you know they're really kind of reinventing a lot of this old motorcycle shit. And I, I'm stoked that Roland Stands and some other people like that, especially down your way, Eric, down south, have really you know reinvigorated the flat track racing. I love nothing. Well, MotoGP is pretty good, but after that, hooligan flat track racing is pretty fucking cool. Oh man, that super hooligan stuff they're doing is awesome, and I've I've been to a few of them, and it feels like backyard brawling, right? Like they say like run what you brung you know and those dudes they just uh they they come in and they bring it oh yeah and they're stuffing those big heavy 1200 cc bikes into the corners like nothing it's i love it like you said i think it's it's like a brawl it's great it's raw it's it's awesome well you know what we might as well make this announcement now jim that what do you got hey what do you got november 3rd and 4th the Misfits are going to be down at Twisted Throttles Flat Track and Drag Racing. It's at the Barona Speedway down near San Diego. Oh, cool. Are, are you going to be back in town for that, Eric? I'm going to be right next to you guys. Those yeah. dates, I'll right be there on. for sure. So, yeah, you, uh, that would be a good time for us to meet up. And, you know, just to all of our listeners, anyone who wants to come and check out some rad riding and from what we hear this thing is just um it it's like a little little slice of the the chaos from ama vintage days right here in california is what i hear sounds like a hoot nanny and if it can be a little slice of ama vintage days yeah we'll be there you know and and eric since you you like to cover action sports i'm just going to give you a heads up 
I think we might be bringing some of our chariots down to uh, to San Diego. <laughs> Uh, Let's do it. If you have not seen our chariot racing, it's about the most fun you can have on a milk crate. Oh, man. Uh, Whatever it is, I'm down. As long as I'm not too broken at that point, uh, I'll get in a crate. Ah, there you go. So I've got a question for you guys. Uh, You hit me with the up the butt question. Yeah. Um, And something that uh, I've been thinking about while I'm up here in the mountains trying to heal up, I... I, I've been firing up this uh, in the gym, jumping on the cycle and walking around the the, uh, the lake and trying to get hyped up. And so, you know, we've 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 put a few jokes on online. We use the Rocky Balboa soundtrack, uh, Survivor, Eye of the Tiger, and stuff like that. What what would be your one hype song to 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 energize and and sort of come back from from a battle like like something like I've been through? Well, I'll tell you what I want. What I really really want <laughs> that's your clue what what you really really want <laughs> i don't want what i really really want i want a hunk i want a hunk i really 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 want a zig a zig ah oh my god the spice girl <laughs> you yeah, he nailed it <laughs> i yeah, love me some spice there's no, girls there's no wrong answers jim Oh, God. I got to go with a couple of favorites. Uh, the classic uh, Motorhead's Ace of Spades, or this might be up your alley, too, is maybe some ministry. Maybe Ministry Ooh. Thieves, something like that. Just get me fucking angry and amped up. That's why I don't listen to music uh, you, when I ride. You know what's insane? Is my hype song is Ace of Spades Motorhead. Right on. Ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. Woo-hoo. That's it. We we <laughs> shared. Now we're, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're definitely blood brothers to some extent right on and i know when i lay my head down to some speed metal later tonight we'll have the same kind of dreams oh yeah we're on the same page right on <laughs> so um tell me what bruised and boozed is boozed and bruised is um a podcast that i am hosting on revolver and uh it has not been announced yet um but it's going to be announced i think really soon like next week and do you not want this to be do you not want this to be oh no 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 it's good it's good it's good it's yeah let's talk about it um i'm super excited about it and so it's it's just it's another extension of the action sports um medium that i'm providing through revolver magazine and so i'm writing articles for the print magazine i'm writing articles and i'm directing films for online content and i have a podcast show Okay, and we're back so, to the dream job thing. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Dude. Yeah. What doesn't yeah. he do? And so we we titled the show Boozed and Bruised because what we do is we, we sit down for an hour, hour and a half. We drink a few uh, beers or whiskeys or wine or whatever it is we're drinking, and we talk about getting bruised. Um, <laughs> we talk with these action sports dudes. Um, a lot of times, like with... Dudes like Carrie Hart and Andy Bell and 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 uh, and Cab and different guys. Cab, Cab's on the fortunate side; he hasn't really had too many gnarly injuries. But but a lot of these guys, we talk about some of the beatings they've taken. And now you have that cred too. You can say, yeah, when I was in the coma, I remember, mm-hmm. yeah, I went through that. Yeah, yeah, when I was back in Vietnam. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah nice. no, I'm su- super stoked. And the first uh, the first the premiere episode is uh, Tony Hawk. Killer. Awesome. That's rad. So yeah, and where will people be able to find this boozed and bruised? Yeah, so this is going to be available on revolvermag.com, 
and from there they'll be able to lead you to where the podcast's hosted. I don't know if what um, like what what platforms or channels it's going to be hosted on, but um, I know that they're they've sorted all that out. So I think within the next week um, they'll start hyping it up, and it'll be hyped on social media because. As um, with all the skateboarders like Tony Hawk and David Gonzalez and Caballero and Elliot Sloan and all these guys, um, as we, we um, put out there, we premiere their podcast episodes, we're also giving away signed skateboard decks. And those sk- skateboard decks will be given away through Facebook and Instagram um, through on Revolver. So if you find Revolver Mag on Instagram or on Facebook, you'll be able to uh, participate in that and I think it's just a matter of like liking a comment or something and you're in the runnings to win these cool uh, signed skateboard decks from these like legendary skaters bitchin dude yeah and if we can get Roland <laughs> to give away a motorcycle we'll do it yeah right for real I like that for <clears throat> reals well cool and you also have your own blog at erichendricks.com but we need to clarify how you spell your name because it's some whacked up way of spelling it yeah, that goes back to my Dutch heritage. It's a, uh, it's H E N D R I K X, and it's Eric with a C. Very, it's like a K X, and so it's very. Oh yeah, my first name Eric E R I C. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just an odd Dutch spelling that's common in the Netherlands, not so common in the U.S. I'm guessing that when you were born, they said, "Should we spell his name Eric with a C or a K?" Fuck it, let's. Let's 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 use a C and we'll throw the K in at the end. <laughs> yeah, let's. I don't know. Let's bring. We'll bring mom on the next episode. And we'll, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. We'll ask her. So, how much longer until you think you're going to be able to fly back home? You said. Yeah. So the doctor said because I have a punctured lung um, that um, I cannot fly for another four weeks. I think. Um, right. So I'm going to be. I'm stuck in the Swiss Alps um, for until the end of September. And there's worse places to be stuck. Um, man, up here, the, the food is incredible. The, the cheese is incredible. The chocolate's incredible. The beer is incredible, even though I'm not supposed to be drinking beer with the medication. Um, we've made a few exceptions. And uh, I think Hunter is Thompson gorge- be proud. It's gorgeous up here. Well, while you are there finishing your recovery, I'm going to be off in the Himalayas motorcycling through that. So... Wow, that's amazing. You can always follow me on my trip through Pakistan. That is incredible. What? A, how did that come about? Oh, you got to go back and listen to all the episodes. Okay. <laughs> I got to do my homework. <laughs> there's, there's a long history there. Um, I've been there before, and a lot of our friends have been there, and, and our own Bagel has been there, and Jim Eckerman. There's been multiple trips uh, to Pakistan amongst our people. And uh, amazing. This is one I'm doing that's uh, all women trip, and there's 12 of us, and it's gonna be pretty epic. Man, you guys are so cool. Yeah, I know, but you know. <laughs> but uh, and we're not riding anything fancy like what you do as you travel around the world. We are riding Pakistani made uh, 150cc bikes. Oh, even better. You know what? Indigenous bikes. Exactly. There's something about that that to me is more the allure, that you don't have the the safety net of a big bike that you know that is more capable than you. At riding what everyone else is riding is the way to go. 
Yeah, why not? I mean, it sounds it sounds like a lifetime experience to me. But it, um, it sounds like we have a lot to follow with you too. Your blog, your podcast, your articles, and you know, I appreciate um, you know reaching out to us and uh, and helping us put this together because this is the thing we keep finding. You know, when we started this podcast, you know, Jim, it's been four years now. Hmm. We're over over 200 shows and you'd think at some point you run out of things to talk about but the longer we do this the more and more topics and people we discover that we want to talk about and my list of of topics and interviews is longer than ever we, it was, and it, i was gonna say and it's exactly like discovering people like eric who are leading you know fascinating interesting lives and they've managed to mix their passion of motorcycling and also, you know, other adventure sports, you know, skateboarding and such, and mix that into profession and, and live in the life that many of us wish we could, apart from the crashing part. Yeah, and one thing I, I think is brilliant that Eric's doing, and even his son, if you look at the stuff that Stone's doing, is amazing, but it, it, it's when you have this crossover in culture where you see, especially on the West Coast, where all the cool shit is, um, but you see stuff like Steve Caballero going from skateboarding to motorcycling, and you see all these kind of crossovers culturally where motorcycling you know, gets into this or it gets into that, and people like Eric that bring it all together with music, with art, I think it's awesome, and, and, and I'm loving the stuff that you're doing, Eric. It's just great. Oh, man, yeah. Thank you so much. I, I feel super lucky, and, and um, it's, it, it also comes down to just being honest with who you are, what your interests are, and, and finding those channels and, and working your ass off until you can um, end up uh, living in an area that you love not getting caught up in some bullshit job, you know, or something, you know, and just kind of going through the motions. You have to stick with your guns and stick with your heart and, and follow what you believe at all costs, you know. And, and I think in the end that that's the big reward and payoff for everybody. Well, that is an inspiration, especially for those of us who are slogging away at our jobs just to afford <laughs> the luxury of having multiple bikes and being able to ride. But, you know, it's all worth it. And we can look at people like you, Eric, and just envy what you do. Um, and I know that you're going to continue bringing forth more and more fascinating people uh, in writing, in action sports, that we can learn about. So that's great. You know, and, and as we kind of wrap yeah. it up here, Eric, I don't you know if you remember saying this, but kind of going back and looking at some of your writing and posts, uh, a while back you said, I always find it fascinating to listen to my subject stories and perspectives of how they've of how they've challenged adversity, stayed true to themselves, and focused on the one thing they love most to achieve success. The pattern for success is consistent: work hard and never give up. And then it goes on to link to bios and interviews. And I when I came across this, I was like, "Holy cow! You could be writing this about yourself right now." And it's awesome yeah. to watch you not giving up, working so hard, and continuing to to pursue the passions that you love. I, it was just funny when I came across it. I'm like. Man, now this guy's living it. It's pretty wild. Yeah, that's that's really cool for you to bring that up. And that's that's it. I mean, you, you know, a lot of people are just like, you know, what's the secret to life and stuff? And it's just follow, just follow your heart and follow what, what really gets you going and what you believe in and whatever that is, whether it's motorcycles or skateboarding or, or something completely else, you know, uh, architecture, whatever, whatever you groove on. You have to do that. That's your calling, and you need to um, you need to challenge that and and take it on. And when your heart's in it, you'll be able to overcome. I think any adversity. 
Awesome. Well, I think that's a good a good quote to go out on. I wanted to thank you for coming on. I know that you're you're stuck over there in Switzerland, and it's a completely different time zone, but we're able to make it work. And uh, thank you for making yourself available. Oh man, thank both of you for having me on the show. I really enjoy what you guys are doing. And um, since I found the show, I've listened to a, a number of podcasts, and I'm always laughing my ass off. And it was really good. <laughs> Really good company when I was here in the hospital, although laughing wasn't the best thing for my punctured <laughs> lung. <laughs> but uh, but, but uh, you, you guys literally had my, uh, my stitches and uh, sutures bursting. Oh, no. So, <laughs> no, awesome. man. I I, yeah, I love you guys, and I really appreciate the opportunity. And I know we had talked at one point about me riding up and, and uh, hanging out with you guys in person to do this and, and to be able to um, jump on the phone from the Swiss Alps and and uh, and catch up with you guys and and set that that personal visit for the future. I'm super excited about. Awesome. Well, thanks. And and in in closing too, I want to give a big thanks to all of our listeners and especially our Patreon subscribers. Um, Jim, I haven't really announced this yet, but I'm just going to go ahead and say we are looking to make a a not a move, but uh, do a little growth here. We have the um, possibility of moving our podcast studio to another building where it can be set up all the time. For a lot of people who don't know, we record here in the garage where we also work on bikes. So every time we record, we have to pull out all the equipment and set it up. and uh, Clear and then, out the possums. <laughs> and then break it all down. <laughs> We're looking at getting an office space that we can set it up and it can always be there, but it enables us to do more and to do interviews like we're doing here with Eric where we came in on a Saturday to do this because there's a lot of really fascinating people out there and they're not always available to record on Sunday evenings when we're here with the group but we want to bring more content we want to bring better quality and we want to do more so we're looking to grow and expand and actually set up a podcast studio and that's where our Patreon subscribers really come into play we're making a big push to get enough income from this podcast to pay for that upgrade and it's something that you know we can only do it with our subscribers so i want to thank everyone that's out there and you know go on over to uh patreon you can also just go to motorcyclesandmisfits.com and you will see the link for support us that's where you go for as little as a dollar a month, you'll get access to our little bonus episodes I've been doing um, with Emma. But we're, we're going to start providing some more um, benefits there. But you know what? Whatever dollar amount you're willing to give is going to help us get to that goal of affording a studio and doing more. We're already started doing, uh, you know, taking trips. And that's how you originally met Eric Jim when you were up at the one show. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Eric Morley, for helping us with that. Yeah, I did want to say shout out to Big Eric. Yeah. And, and even just going to this Baby. flat track race. Um, we want to do more. And especially meeting people like Eric Hendricks here, we learn through people we meet about even more and more fascinating interesting people now i'm like we guys just got to go down to la and just do like a whole bunch of Heck yeah. interviews, man but it'll help when we have more income to do that so go on over to motorcyclesandmisfits.com where you find our links to support us if you want to buy a t-shirt anything anything you want to do to help us out 
it's it's tremendously appreciated. Remember to find the Naked Jib coffee mug. You have to take off the parental <laughs> controls on the website. <laughs> uh, I think you need to send uh, Erica a Naked Jib coffee mug. If I know where to send it, he will get a Naked Jib cup. She's just doing impress Wait, is friends. Naked Jim yeah. actually on the mug? Oh, yep. yes, in all his glory. Oh, yes. <laughs> all right. Oh, yes. Nice. So, again, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Eric, for coming on our show. We appreciate it. And hopefully we're going to have uh, more stuff to talk about in the future. I'm sure that you we've just opened up the jar with you. I, I think there's going to be more to talk about. And, and I would oh, like, man, real, yeah. before we wrap up, is to say a, a sincere thank you to Eric Morley and Blue Sea Advertising. Because yes. uh, Eric did make the introduction at the One Moto Show, which I'm looking, I think we're going to write up there this next year. Looking forward to again. But yeah, thanks for Eric, uh, I mean, for hooking us up. And uh, yeah, and Eric Morley, another cool dude doing cool stuff. Exactly. Yeah, Eric Morley's the best. He's a good friend. Nice. So on that I note, I think we can't we're... wait to get back home and have a Guinness with that guy. There you go. Well, let us know when you get back. It gives us a good reason to ride to LA. We're always looking for reasons for road trips. So you be sure to let us know when you're back in the States, my man. Can't wait. Thank you so much. Nice. So on that note, I think we're ready to get out of here. Thanks again for listening. This is Liza. And Naked Jim. And on the phone we have Eric Hendricks. There it is. Uh... All right, hey, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Cool, cool.